Thanks so much for readings, Terry. Uh, friends, uh, great that you could join us online this morning. Hope you're doing okay. It's a bit tough with the change in daylight saving, a little bit earlier. Hope you're uh, handling it okay. The coffee's kicked in. Uh, it certainly has for me, which is good news. Uh, friends, what do we do when our plans, uh, plans that we thought were God-honouring, plans that we thought were very much in line with what God would want us to do with our lives. Now, what do we do when those plans, through no apparent fault of our own, can no longer proceed? I've had friends who spent years training to become missionaries in Papua New Guinea. Well, those plans had to change overnight when one of their children was diagnosed with a peanut allergy. And it turns out you just can't work in a country where peanuts are everywhere. And so years of training, plans, gone in a second. And so where was God's goodness in that? I've had a friend who spent years training with the goal of working in North Korea. And yet when he finally got there, he fell into a deep depression and had to come home. Again, where was God's goodness in that? Well, in this series, we've been thinking about the goodness of God. In our first week, we heard how God is good and that he is the source of all that is good. And we were encouraged to reflect on that and to give thanks to God for his goodness to us in this world. Last week, we considered God's goodness to us in his acts of judgment. And we heard how actually the problem of evil is no problem for us because not only is God more powerful than death, but in Jesus, God has defeated it and one day will get rid of it once and for all. This week, we're thinking about God's goodness to us when life is hard. Because you only have to live long enough to know that actually your life is not following the script that you had hoped that it might. Maybe it's some of those big things, the job that you really wanted that maybe you did or didn't get the uni course, the apprenticeship that you're accepted into or actually you got that rejection letter. Maybe it's that proposal that you made and that person said yes or alternative were they were actually quite baffled that you'd even ask. But not just the big things of life either. Sometimes it's the small things. It's that car that we bought that we're still paying off, but it's a lemon. It's the kids that refuse to sleep at night but are up at the crack of dawn the next day. It's the mortgage that feels like an ever-present chain that's just pulling you down. Or it's the months of homeschooling whilst working full-time in a lockdown LGA. Whatever it is that you're facing perhaps at the moment, that's our question for today. Where is God's goodness to us when life is tough? Well, the surprising answer that the Bible gives us is that we're to experience God's goodness not apart from the difficulties of life, but in the difficulties of life. Now, you might think that at first glance, that's a surprising and perhaps a somewhat unsatisfying answer. But let me suggest that if we can get our heads around this, if we can start to view our lives through this lens, it will actually transform our experience of the difficulties of life. Now, where do we see this idea in the Bible? 
Well, it's very big, especially in the letter to the Hebrews. Now, the context for this letter is very important. The Christians that were written to, they were doing it tough. They'd had their property confiscated. Some had been thrown into prison. And it all happened simply because they were followers of Jesus. It wasn't that there was something bad in one sense that they'd done. And so what does God say to those who are experiencing these difficulties? What does God say to those who are really struggling to see God's goodness to them in the hardships of life? And what will enable them to see God's goodness, not apart from those difficulties, but in those difficulties? Well, from chapter 12, verse 7, God tells them to view their difficulties as discipline. We read, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you're not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. And so God is saying to those who are suffering, he says, view your difficulties as discipline. Now, why might God say that? Well, look, partly it's the reality that nothing good comes easy. You know, you, you sometimes watch incredible athletes do incredible things, and, and we've had the Olympics just recently, so we, we've done a bunch of that. They make it look so easy, don't they? Now, I was particularly amazed by Logan Martin. Now, he's an Aussie. He's a BMX freestyler. He won gold. Now, I managed to watch that event when it was happening live on TV, and so it feels a little, little bit more special perhaps for me. But he was seemingly so much better than all the other competitors. Now, what he was able to do on that bike, particularly the tricks that he did when he was in the air, which seems to be a pretty big component of what that event is, that, that were just astonishing. And I guess as you were watching him win gold, you were thinking, well, that, that's amazing. And what's incredible about him, he said his first run, which he won gold on, was actually quite a conservative run for him. It was sort of a, a safe one, get that done, and then he was kind of saving up for the big tricks, the much potentially much higher scoring run the second time around. He didn't need to do that. He'd already won on his first run. He'd already won gold. But you're watching him, you think, well, he's making that look so effortless. You think, that, that guy's just a freak, so much better than everyone else, and, and so, so, so easy for him. You think, well, what incredible talent that guy is. He's just a freak, just born special. And I guess, look, partly that's true, isn't it? He obviously got some pretty serious natural talent, but, but of course that's not all he had. And, and during the broadcast, we were told about that, how he'd built his own track in his backyard that was about $70,000. I've subsequently read how on that track he practiced about 18 hours every week, another four to five sessions in the gym every week. And that's a lot of hard work, and he'd hit a lot of potholes on the way, metaphorical. He broke his collarbone in four places. Injured his ankle, he needed to miss key competitions. But if anything, what he said was it actually made him come back stronger, even more determined. He would even say that ultimately it was good for him that he had these setbacks. And that's how it works for us in the Christian life. Setbacks can be so good for us. And so that's important for us to hear. Hardships are good for us in our Christian walk. As we learn things like patience 
endurance, how to love those who are difficult to love. And so we grow through them, and that is good news because all Christians need to grow. And that's because right now none of us live as perfected sons of God. Now, I say sons of God because when you come to trust in the Lord Jesus and you become part of God's family, you become a son of God. So male and female, you become a son of God. That is our true identity. That is who we are in Jesus. But of course, we don't always live like that. None of us live as perfected sons of God. We are all a work in progress, and so we all need to grow. And that's where God's discipline comes in. The goal of God's discipline is to keep transforming us more and more into the perfected sons of God that we are in Jesus. Now, it's worth exploring this idea a little more because what does it actually mean to live like a perfected son of God? Uh, We know the phrase like father, like son. And as much as we might say that today it's kind of true, we can sort of see what that's getting at, it really was far more accurate in the first century because many of us today, we don't do the same jobs that our parents did. Uh, For me, for example, my dad was a farmer slash accountant. My mum was a teacher. But I wasn't restricted to choosing from those alternatives. I was a software engineer and now I work for this church. But back in the first century, you just didn't have that option, didn't have that choice. It was fairly universal that you did what your parents did. And so if you were a male and your dad was a carpenter, then from a young age, he trained you in the workshop alongside him, doing the work in precisely the same way that that he did that. There was no YouTube to look up what the the latest and greatest thing, what the cool kids were were doing these days. You you learnt what your dad did and you did it in that way. Very much like father, like son. Now, what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to live as a perfected son of God? Which is really asking, what is it going to mean for us to live in a way that resembles our heavenly father? Well, we know what it will look like because we've already seen it. We've already seen Jesus who is the perfected Son of God. We have four gospel accounts that show us what it looked like for Him to live on this earth as the perfected Son of God. And so for us to look like Him, that is the goal of God's discipline. Meaning that in the ups and downs of life, in the difficulties, in the pain, What the book of Hebrews is telling us is that in these hardships, the utterly sovereign God is shaping us to more and more resemble the perfect Son of God that we already are in Jesus. And so how does viewing hardships through this lens change the way that we experience them? Well, how do you feel when you hit rough seas? Uh, How do you feel when hard times wash over you? When you're having a bad day and it just gets worse. You know, you wake up late. uh, Maybe it's because of daylight saving. Maybe not. Who knows? But you find out that the late bus, well, it hasn't come. You've missed it. It's not coming. What do you think when that happens? Do you think, well, hang on, why is God doing this to me? What did I do to deserve this? Well, Hebrews is saying it's not because God doesn't love you that he puts you through these hard times. It's because he does. 
Let's hear that again from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. And so it's because God loves us. It's because God views you as his beloved child that he disciplines us. That's much the same way, I guess, that our human parents did this. They loved us and so they disciplined us. Good parents don't just let their kids get whatever they want when they want. And so too, our Heavenly Father doesn't just give us what we want whenever we want it. Things are not always easy. That's a good thing. God wants us to grow. And so what do we do then? We, we wake up late. We've missed the bus we need to catch. The next one is not coming. And the one after that, it's quite a wait. How do we respond? Do we grumble? Do we blame God? We say, why is God doing this to me? What's his problem? Or do we receive it as a gift from God? Do we view it as a chance for us to grow to be more like Jesus? And so do we think, well, hang on, what does God want me to learn here? You know, we, we know waiting for another bus, let's just keep using that example. We know waiting for another bus, that is hard. Our temptation is just to get more and more angry. Now we start dwelling on, well, hang on, I'm going to have to stay back late today to make up the time here, to get what I need done, get done. And that's going to make the evening now really tight. I've got stuff to do when I get home. How's that going to work? Hang on, what, what should you be thinking? Think, well, hang on, does God want me to learn patience here? Is that a lesson that he wants me to learn? Now, for you, it might be different things here. Well, what is it that God wants you to learn from this? I mean, you can join the dots in whatever example that, that perhaps you're thinking through now. But that's the challenge. That's our challenge for this week. To view hardships, which, you know, we experience as exhaustion, as pain, as annoyance, to view those hardships as a good gift from God to enable us to become more like Jesus. And again, if we can think this way, if we can endure hardship as discipline, it will transform how we experience difficulties in this life and we'll be much better for it. But let me clarify something. God's discipline is not just about correcting something that perhaps is wrong with us. I actually think that's too limited a view of God's discipline. Because often God's discipline is about growing us. It's about equipping us. It's about adding to us. So just think of the way that our Heavenly Father disciplined Jesus during his earthly ministry. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8 says that son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Now, it's not that Jesus wasn't already sinless. He was. And so why does it say they had to learn obedience? That's interesting. Or again, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, we're told that in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Now, again, we might ask, in what sense did Jesus need to be perfected? He was already the perfect son of God. 
Was he doing something wrong? Well, no, that's, that's a too limited view of God's discipline. What Jesus needed, or we might say what Jesus was lacking, was that he wasn't yet equipped to be our saviour. Because in order to save us, he needed to live a human life. And in order to save us, he needed to suffer, to die on a cross. He needed to pay the penalty for our sins. It's in that sense that he was lacking. It's in that sense that God disciplined him, as we read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. Once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And so God's discipline is not about stopping us from doing something wrong or fixing us or anything like that necessarily. It's actually a lot bigger. It's adding to us. It's equipping us, perhaps so that we can serve in new ways. And so actually we should be looking forward to this, looking forward to being increasingly equipped to serve God and his people as God disciplines us. Now, again, I'm stressing this not just because we sometimes misunderstand what the Bible means by discipline, but also because I think we can be afraid. Afraid to ask God to to keep working in us, to keep making us more like Jesus. Because we think a prayer like that, that that is really just asking for for pain, isn't it? Isn't that just asking God to refine us through the, the metaphorical fire But again, that is too limited a view of God's discipline. Sometimes it simply involves God getting us to do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. Sometimes getting us to do things over and over again until we're not just used to it, but we enjoy it, we like it, and maybe that's opened up a new way for us to serve. Now, for example, some of us, if you've been doing the home learning, some of us, as this has gone on, well, actually, we realise, actually, it's, it's not so bad, actually. It's kind of rewarding to be spending this time with the kids and teaching them and, and seeing them grow and develop and learn. And so, actually, now you're wondering whether you, you might put your hand up to do SRE. That might have been something that you were in no way considering before COVID hit, but now that God's disciplined you in this way... And I know this is not everyone's experience of home learning, far from it. But some would be convinced that that actually maybe SRE is for them. Being forced to do it has actually opened our eyes up and equipped us to a new avenue of service. And so God's discipline, it's a good gift. We should expect it. We should long for it. But what does it actually look like? How do we recognize it? Well, we have touched on this over the last couple of weeks as we thought about what God has taught us during this pandemic. You might remember how we heard that even though this pandemic is evil, that God can and does achieve good despite the evilness of evil. And we did speak about some of the good things that we've learnt during this COVID pandemic. Things like being more and more thankful Thankful for things that perhaps in the past we'd taken for granted. And so, the last couple of weeks, I hope that we've been able to identify some of the ways that God has been disciplining us and it's actually been good for us. 
This week, I want to think about a hardship that's actually focused on the individual. So not a global pandemic which impacts all of us to varying degrees. But I actually want to zoom in on a really tough case for us. Now, let's think about cancer. Uh, Something like one half to one third of us will be diagnosed with this. And regardless of the severity, it is always an awful diagnosis. So again, we'll take on a hard case. It's different from the last few weeks because this is an individual diagnosis. And I want to ramp it up a notch again. Let's talk about terminal cancer. How can God use a hardship like that as discipline? Let's set the scene a little more. Let's say we're talking about a middle-aged man. He's married, he's got kids. Again, how might terminal cancer be a good gift? Let's think about it. That man will certainly be reminded of the death sentence that we all stand under because of our sin. We explored a little bit of that last week. But that can be a good gift. Getting advance notice of your impending death, that can be a wonderful gift because it gives you the time that you need to get your life in order, to get your relationships with friends and family sorted out, but most importantly of all, to get your relationship with God sorted out. The same goes for the man's family. Let's think of his children. Let's say they're in their 20s. Uh, So often when you're in your 20s, you think you're indestructible, that you're not even thinking about death, that things might come to an end. Well, the death of a parent can change that. It can make us realise that actually our life on this earth is fleeting, that it will come to an end. And so actually the death of a parent at that age can really put our own lives into perspective. It can shape our lives. It can shape our future plans. Some have even gone into full-time Christian ministry because of it. If we turn to think about the effects of this man's final months on his church family, to die well is such a stunning encouragement to a church. And when I say to die well, what I mean is that for Christians, there are things that are worse than death namely God's judgment, if we deny him. Now, to get that clear in our minds, that is a great gift. It makes our lives totally focused on the future, totally focused on eternity with God and his people, such that we don't fear death. Because we're convinced that death is not the end. And so now we're seeing how the benefits of this diagnosis can can spill over into the church as they see their brother in Christ count down to their impending death with a sense of joy. That can transform a church. But it can also bring others to know Jesus as non-Christian friends visit that person during their final days, as they hear about this person's sure and certain hope And as they attend his funeral, and again, hear about that hope, about Jesus, about where their friend is now, well, actually, that can be the start of their Christian journey, a journey that might see them taking the gospel to their own friends and family. 
Well, this is an extreme example. And I certainly hope that the hardships that you're experiencing right now are nothing compared to what we've just worked through. But whatever it is in your life, what I do want you to do is view them as discipline. They're not a challenge to God's goodness. Don't view them like that. In fact, reframe them. Ask, how does God want me to grow through this? How might God be using this to make me more and more like Jesus? But let's think about this one a little bit more. What about the individual nature of it? I know that some really struggle with this because they suspect that if they suffer some localised affliction, then they think that it must have something to do with them, that perhaps they've caused it. Now, is that true? Does a, a cancer diagnosis, for example, mean that there is some great sin in this person's life that they need to repent of? Well, the Bible says, not necessarily. Now, sometimes that is, is, is exactly how it functions. Sometimes God's discipline is a sign that we need to repent of some specific sin. In 1 Corinthians 11, for example, wealthy members of the church ate during the Lord's Supper while the poor went without. And that's why the wealthy were suffering, as the Apostle Paul says from verse 29. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And that is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves would not come under such judgment. And so the Apostle Paul is saying that the reason why some members of that church had become sick was because of their sin. Their sickness was a direct judgment from God. But I think we can safely say that this is not how God's discipline normally works. And so, for example, when Jesus met a man born blind in John 9, the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so here it's not the case that this man's blindness was a direct judgment on his or his parents' sin. But that does, of course, raise the question, how do we know? How do we discern? How do we know if the hardships that we are enduring, if they're a direct judgment on a specific sin that God wants us to repent of, or if, on the other hand, it's not related to anything that we've done? How do we know? Well, I think the answer is that if it is specific to us, then God will make that clear to us. Okay, so if it is specific to us, God will make that clear to us. And so we won't need to guess. Now, that's not to say that we'll be able to identify a specific cause, if there is one, all by ourselves. We all have blind spots, and so we all need to make sure that we're listening to others, if and, and when they reveal our sin to us, because God does use others to help us identify sin in our lives. But again, if you are worried that you are suffering because of, of some sin in your life, and you really can't think of what that might be, then let me suggest that what you're experiencing is not linked to some specific sin, because again, if it was, God would make that clear to you. Okay. Well, to draw this series on the goodness of God to a close, 
I want to take a moment to speak to those for whom life right now is really tough. Uh, So those who look at their hardships and don't just struggle to see them as God's good and intentional discipline, but again, because life is so hard right now that they're even struggling to see God's goodness at all. Maybe you're out of work. Uh, Maybe finances are tight. Maybe there's conflict in significant relationships. Now, this happens, right? Sometimes our immediate circumstances can actually blind us to what is true. So I want to take a moment now to remind you of what is true. And the truth is this, God has been so good to us because if we have Jesus, then we have everything we need. It might not feel like that right now, but that's the truth. If you have Jesus, then you have everything you need. Uh, Where do we see that in the Bible? Have a listen to Philippians chapter 3 from verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ." the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now, what is going on there? Well, the Apostle Paul, as a Jew in first century Palestine, he could have looked at his external circumstances. He could have looked at his status. He outlines a bunch of his attributes in Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. And he could have looked at those and he could have thought to himself, you know what, I'm pretty good. From the tribe of Benjamin one of the leading religious leaders of the day, he could think, well, I've made it. I've got everything that you might want. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say that. What he actually says is that he considers all of those things that, which in the past he considered so good. All those things in the past which made him look good in, in the eyes of this world. All those things that in the past he would have boasted in. Well, now he considers them to be rubbish. But why is that? Well, he says they are not worth considering compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. Now, now why is that? Well, it's because to be loved by Jesus is better than anything that this world can give. That's why Paul can say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, that he's learnt to be content whatever the circumstances. See, Paul doesn't need to look to his external, external circumstances for satisfaction. And so he's not a guy who's going to fall for the lies of the, the marketing or advertising industries. He's not going to go out and buy the latest and greatest product and, and enjoy it, love it for a season before he becomes dissatisfied with it and longing for the next greatest thing. He's not going to sit in his rental thinking to himself, well, why doesn't God love me? Because I can't break into the Sydney property market. He doesn't do that because he doesn't look to his external circumstances for satisfaction. He doesn't believe the lie that if he just changed this one thing, then everything would be great in his life. Then he'd be happy. Then he'd be content. No, no, his desires are totally and completely met in Jesus. And that's because when we know Jesus, when we know his love for us, when we know that he loved us even when we were his enemy, 
And when we know the riches that is already lavished upon us, the salvation that he won for us in his death on the cross, and when we think of how he's shaping us even now, disciplining us every day to be more and more like Jesus, and when we think of the future that God is getting us ready for, the good and perfect future in that good and perfect world, Well, friends, then we can honestly say that God is good because we know that he's already given us so much more than we deserve. And so actually we can say, I don't need anything else because I have God and God is good. And so if you ever wonder about the goodness of God in the midst of troubling times, Look to Jesus and know that God doesn't promise to give us a trouble-free life. But what he does promise is to make us more and more like Jesus. And that is better by far. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, none of us have easy lives. And yet, as we've heard this morning, that shouldn't cause us to question your goodness to us. Rather, help us to recognize how you've shaped us in the past through what were difficult seasons. And help us now as we endure suffering. Help us to recognize your loving hand at work and help us to be changed by it. But most of all, help us to always remember and to appreciate your incredible goodness to us in Jesus, in whom you have given everything we need. In Jesus' name, amen.